Welcome to what? Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On tonight's show, we've got another edition of The Deciding Point for all of you tennis fans. Our weekly breakdown of everything that happens across the Division I college tennis world. Of course, here on Wednesday nights on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, we break down the Division I men's college tennis world. And much as I said last night when breaking down all the Division women action every match moving forward matters and while we have started to see some separation in the races for regular season conference titles the races to be a top eight seed the races to be top 16 seeds the races to get into the ncaa tournament they are all heating up as such we have a jam-packed show and that is why i am always glad to be joined by my partner in crime to break everything down of course you know him best as the forefather of the college tennis ranks formula predictions never far from the listed utr one of the many dames to root for the liberty flames of course he's the professor the lean mean vegan machine it's our dear friend chris halioris chris hey great shot welcome back to the show we're about a month away from that selection show how you feeling my friend Feeling good. It's getting, you know, we're, it's getting really tight now, getting down to the the selection of those top 16, if you will, and, and the battle that ensues and trying to get them. And it's a it's fun watching all the things that happen as you get towards the end of the season. And, you know, terms of matches, people that that people add in terms of, you know, must win conference matches for teams still trying to entertain hopes of uh, hosting, et cetera. So should be a should, should be a good couple of weeks here. Absolutely. And we're four months in at this point, younger players, they've had a big enough sample size. They've been able to mature. Of course, some of them may have already had their slumps midway through the season. Some players have certainly started to regain their form. Some teams smoking hot entering this portion of the calendar. And we want to talk about those teams specifically here on tonight's show, but talk about in mid season form, you were bringing this up before we started the show. I'll just allude to it now. And perhaps this will be a carrot for any of our podcast listeners who choose to listen to the show instead of watch us live on our YouTube channel. I look good right now, Chris. I have a mid-season form jawline. Like, can we just agree? You were saying it beforehand. You think it's the camera angle. I just think I'm fit right now. I mean, I'm not, I, you know, as much as I love to, to pick on you, I'm not going to lie. When we came on uh, as we were getting ready to go live, I actually asked if you got a new camera <laughs> just because it looked, you, you know, I don't know. Some, you, you look more defined, Gruskin. I don't how that's possible. I mean, how you define skin and bones and slender. <laughs> I, I'm not sure, but, but you've done it well with that camera. Well, let me just say a, Thank you. B, I think it's the depth. I'm a little bit further back from the camera now. And so you get to see all of to as you framed it, my skin and bones. But yeah, let me just say your lean, mean, vegan machineness, it motivated me. I got back in the gym. I've been going hard these past few weeks, Chris, because 
look, Orlando's the Super Bowl. I got to look good in Orlando. If I don't look good there, what am I doing in this business? So again, we're in mid-season form. He's a lean vegan machine. He's even acknowledging my jawline, not too shabby at this point. Of course, you know what else makes me look good? The gear I am provided by our dear friends at LS who have been partners with this show from the beginning and of course, whom we have to give a shout out to today before we get started breaking down all the action. Of course, I am today rocking the LS non-polo, non-collared shirt, just the standard cotton tee. And let me tell you, it's comfortable. You see the shapes of the human that's wearing it, and you're going to look stylish as well, whether it's the cotton tees, the hoodies, the polos. They've got just an immense catalog of items to offer all of you tennis players, tennis fans out there. So be sure to click on the link in the description to this podcast if for no other reason than to extend our appreciation for their support of this show. A massive thank you to LS. And then, Chris, I didn't tell you beforehand, but guess who's back? One of the the Great Shot podcast OGs, our dear friends at Turna, Chris, they're back. And last night I had the debate with our dear friend John J. Parsons. Are Turna grips blue? Are they purple? The Turna ad copy, Chris, they kind of put it to rest because here's what they say. They say, first of all, they're happy to be back. Obviously, they've got their classic Turner grip as well, but they want to introduce the new Turner Tough. And it's, look, the same as the Turner grip. It's just a longer lasting version of that Turner grip, a more durable version of it as well. Same gold standard, sweat absorption, same dry feel, still gets tackier when you sweat. And here's the thing, Chris, still has that same trademarked blue color as well. So that puts it to rest. The Turner grip is blue. You want to be Turner tough. Use that Turner tough grip today. You won't regret it. There's a reason. Again, everyone can identify a Turner grip. We're so happy to have our friends at Turner back with us here uh, supporting this deciding point. Again, a massive thank you to Turner. You can learn. You can find Turner grip everywhere. I don't even need to plug it. Just trust. I mean, tell you where to find it. Just trust me. Make the switch to Turner tough. You won't regret it moving forward. Something we will regret, though, is if we don't get into our breakdown, because again, we're going to be as efficient as possible with our words here tonight, Chris. We have so many matches. It was an expansive expansive outline sent your way. And let me just ask, because one of the things I've always appreciated most about you and anyone who listens to our late night indoors recaps, late night NCA recaps, know we thrive in the chaos of those late night moments. Do you enjoy having the outlines? Because let me tell you, it is fun to look back. And like if college tennis fans are interested and I'll look in the comments, I'm happy to publish those outlines. There are so many results that happen each and every week. You know, what's your method of keeping track? I Look, my method is I go to my dang website and I scan down the week behind and I look at all the matches in in order of rank. And I look, I go, oh, wow, that was I missed that one. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to keep up with it when I'm when I'm uh, certainly when I'm available to look, I'm keeping up with matches as they're going on live. If I'm not, then. You know, like the the worst is like the week of vacation where I see nothing. And then I go back and I have to scan through a week's worth of results other than a very few select matches that I uh, saw results for. But, yeah, it's uh, no, I love going through your outlines because it's, uh, you know, for the most part, I look at it and I go, yeah, I'm still not prepping. We're just going off the cuff. But, you know, <laughs> I, at least I know what you're going to what you're going to hit me with now. Uh, but uh, but yeah, no, that's you. You do. a. I mean, people don't understand Obviously, this is Gruskin's full-time job. 
he puts the work in. He's not off the cuff like I am here. And uh, and he's done the research and has, uh, and has laid out all of the goodies uh, at which, you know, if I throw in one or two tidbits, bonus. But uh, but he's done the real <laughs> legwork here. Well, that's kind of you to say. I will also point out it's really helpful to have our broadcasts. And we're, we have a jam-packed week this week just to put it in the front here because this is our final college show of the week. Thursday, 5 p.m. Eastern time, number one UNC taking on number seven NC State. That matchup on ESPN ACC Network Plus. Friday, we've got our ACC SEC cross-court cast. Saturday, we've got Baylor, I believe, taking on, I want to say, it's Texas. Duh, that's who they're taking on. It's a really fun conference match. Gil Gross is going to be on the call for it because this Saturday we have an ACC cross-court cast. Sunday, ACC Big Ten as well. So we've got college tennis for you each and every day this week. Uh, Again, it helps me to be able to watch all these players. I do feel like I have a grasp for the teams on the rise who are starting to play their best tennis, not just via the results, but via the eye test as well. And, you know, one of the hottest teams in the country, I think we have to start with, is the Tennessee Volunteers. And look, this is a Tennessee team that was unequivocally in our crack rackets preseason top 10. And look, there's no denying when transfer Kent Hunter announced that he would not be participating in the spring season. That was a major loss for this Tennessee team to not have Broncatelli. That was certainly a loss for this Tennessee team. And yet with the core they brought back in Monday, in HUD, in Mitsui, in Harper, and Prada and Diaz and the fact that that core together had reached the NCAA semifinals in back-to-back seasons, you felt like even without those players, you could still feel pretty confident about this Tennessee team. And yet, of course, they got off to a rocky start, right? They get knocked out by Michigan pretty quickly. TCU gives them the business. Wake Forest beats them in Winston-Salem. Then they go to the national indoors. Pretty solid two and one start. Obviously, they had Georgia on the brink before losing that match from three one up four three. But these past two weekends, last weekend it was Columbia and Texas A and M. This weekend, Tennessee four zero win over Kentucky, five two win over Mississippi State. Yes, this these two matches this past weekend happened in Knoxville. But Chris. Four straight top 25 wins. This team is all the way up to number nine in the team rankings. They're tied for second uh, in the SEC, and they still have the team they're tied with, South Carolina, to play. Now, that's a road match, but let's just start 30,000-foot view. What's changed for this Tennessee team, in your opinion? Well, I mean, I think obviously uh, there's a lot of little things that have changed. One, just I I think – They've got, you know, time more than anything. So early in the year, there were a lot of things going on, not necessarily on the court that that weren't going, you know, in the favor of a team that wants to play as a team. Right. You you had the Kent Hunter leaving. You had Broncatelli leaving. You had the reasons for that and the side effects that that came out of it. Then you had the fact that you're playing a lot of indoor tennis and you got guys like most notably Blaze Bicknell, who is not an indoor player. And, you know, much like we talk about teams that is in the Big Ten that play a lot of indoor tennis, you know, he wants to get out. He wants to get outdoors, unlike, you know, the Big Ten teams that like to stay indoors. There are a lot of things along those lines. And then just the fact that as time has gone on, yes, they've gotten some outdoors, they've gotten more comfortable. They've just gotten back in a groove, I think, to the point where the team has settled in. They've sort of found 
you know, their identity, if you will, and they're not struggling with some of those off-court issues right now. And and yeah, once once you get some momentum and you get on a little roll and all of a sudden the team builds confidence in the team, not just the individuals themselves, right? I mean, I, I don't think Jomo ever, ever once doubted the fact that he could win, but did all the guys on the team believe the team could necessarily win every match? I, there's much more belief in that now. Yeah, I think it's a couple of things, and we saw them manifest itself this weekend. First of all, you and I are always quick to talk about the lineup changes we would make. Let's talk about the changes Tennessee got freaking right, because we said from the start of the year, what are they going to do with doubles? We didn't like the teams they had, whether it was, you know, again, Harper playing with Mitsui and Bicknell and uh, HUD and just, again, it felt like Harper Monday was the obvious choice to make at the number one double spot. And to credit to Coach Woodruff, Coach Mackay, they make the switch. And guess what? Not only are Harper and Monday 12 and two overall, they're number two in the country now. And they go one and oh this weekend. That worked. The switch they made allows Hud and Mitsui to slide back together. They're up to number 60 in the country. They're 12 and 0 this season in dual match play. They sweep their two matches this weekend against Kentucky and Mississippi State, including a 6 0 win over Mississippi State number two doubles team that had not been bad throughout the course of this season. And then credit to number three. They've played Seven different pairings so far this season. They're 11 and three at the three spot. Tennessee is back to being who they were in doubles. And that's the key because now you get to the singles lineup. A, Joe Monday, if he's not the best player in the in the nation straight up, he's in the conversation. And I need to see him play Spazier because I'll tell you what, lefty to the Spaziri backhand and the definitive power that Monday possesses, that's a fun matchup. And Monday, again, 12-1 and at the top spot. He's 15-1 and overall in dual match play this year. The other big thing, Shinsuke Mitsui is just back to being himself. Mitsui had a bad start to this 2023 season. And you look at the number overall for him, he's 13-6 and overall. Here's the big thing. They slid him back down to the number four spot. He gets two victories this weekend, both of them in straight sets. He's 8-1 and at number four. Now 13-6 and again overall. Doubles. Monday, Mitsui, now you only need to find one more. And HUD has been really good this year in the top half of the lineup. 13 and 7 overall. You can put it in the bank that he's going three sets. And he hasn't always been on the right end of them, but he was this weekend against Kentucky, delivering the big clinch. I believe he was player of the week. So you've got HUD. You've got Bicknell, who again, 7 and 10 overall on the year. But you look at what Blaze was ever able to do this weekend. He's up a set and 4-3 on Lapidot unfinished but three sets wins the first set against hernandez you know again starting to play better tennis as well diaz has been really good at that number five spot he's 15 and three overall in the year do you still have some questions about six yeah and whether it's prada whether it's harper whether it's rodriguez that's still the question and that's the question we had from the start of the season and i promise i'm finishing this rant here in a second chris because you are our sec correspondent That said, January, February, start of March, this team had more questions than just the number six singles position. I think it's fair to say that this team no longer does. And the last part of this, I would say, is there's also the intangible quality uh, uh, part of it. Tennessee was not Tennessee. The first two months of the season, they weren't yelling. They weren't energized. They didn't have that edge to them. You didn't want to punch them in the face the way you did 
those prior two seasons. Guess what, Chris? They're punching the faceable again. They've got their swagger back. You can see it in watching them play. And guess what? Winning cures all illnesses. They've done a lot of winning over the course of the past two months. They're now 16-6 and overall. Again, second place in the conference. But the totality of things, and I've had that Tennessee rant in me, so I apologize. Those totality of things is why Tennessee is back. Yeah, you're right. You brought up Mitsui Mitsui. I talked about Bicknell. And as to you point out, this weekend, Bicknell was <laughs> it was sort of a microcosm of the season for him. He was up a set and rolling against Mississippi State. Rain delay, match gets moved indoors, yeah. he loses. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, that that's the season for for Blaze right there. But yeah, Mitsui has absolutely very, very slow start for him. I mean, came out good in the fall, then got to a dual match season and just, you know, the wheels kind of seem to have fallen off. And now he seems to be back. But yeah, to your point, just everybody, everybody is winning. Winning just breeds winning. And it's like a snowball. Uh, you just yeah. it, once it gets going, it's hard to stop. And they just look really, really good right now. Yeah, now they're back up to number nine again in the rankings. They have that South Carolina carrot. Now they lost to Georgia 4-3, but Chris, they 4-0 Kentucky. I know it was at home. They won doubles. They won six first set and singles. They won three straight set matches. That's really impressive by this Tennessee team. And again, it was HUD. It was Mitsui. It was Diaz. It wasn't even Monday on that day. Who was up on Draxel? Not an easy match, but... It's a really good weekend for Tennessee. And again, the key theme here is this is the Tennessee men's tennis team we expected to see throughout the course of the uh, first season. But of course, Tennessee tied for second in the SEC. And our dear friend John J. Parsons correctly corrected me in our group chat this weekend. They're not the hottest team in the conference. That has to belong to Georgia. And There is something to say for Kentucky had to go to Athens and Knoxville this weekend, and perhaps there was some hangover effect from the way that match in Athens ended, and we were on the call for it on our SEC cross-court cast. But look, Georgia's getting good. Like It's just clicking for this Georgia team, who's now 8-0 in conference play. They get a 4-0 win over Arkansas and then 5-2 win over Kentucky. Seven match points. For Kentucky at the number three double spot, including a volley on top of the net that I promise you, Jaden Weeks, we won't have to tell him about it for the rest of his career. He'll remember it. Uh, Certainly now credit to Georgia, credit to the over 2000 people in Athens and uh, supporting that match. And I had one coach tell me I, I was talking to a coach on the phone this week and. That coach was saying, regardless of the home court advantage it provides, Athens is the town for NCAs to be in because there's just a passion for college tennis. They get it in a way maybe no other fan base gets it. And you saw that energy. You saw that enthusiasm, even if you're Kentucky, who had a horrible call. I mean, we were seeing the camera, so it's tough to say, but God, did it feel like Draxel got hosed in his 6-5 service game at the end of that second set against Quinn to give him 40-30 instead. 30-40, he's ultimately broken. Quinn closes out the match and clinches the match in straight sets. That happens in every college tennis match. That is not what defined this result. Again, Jaden Weeks has the volley on top of the net. Certainly, you look for this Georgia team. Quinn gets a first set. Henning gets a first set. You know, Kreuter gets a first set. Perez-Pena gets a first set. You know, Georgia did what they needed to do in singles. And again, Quinn's starting to find his rhythm. 
outdoors playing better and better. He gets two straight set victories uh, throughout the course of the weekend. Obviously, Trent Bride, who drops his match six and six to Lapidot. That match is the last match to finish. It finishes post clinch. That was a really good match against two of the best three singles players in the country. No toss up there. You know, the other thing is Phil Henning. Phil Henning's been really good at that number two spot. Quietly excellent. He gets a really efficient four and three win over Ianni. Again, we've talked about MPP a lot this year. For what it's worth, he did get a three-set win over Kosne. I mean, Chris, where are you with this Georgia team? Are they in your inner circle national championship conversation yet? Have you started to believe to that extent? I don't. I mean, I just don't. I don't know because I'm not sure they can do it enough times in a row. Can they beat anybody? Yeah, I think they can uh, on a good day. But can they? Can they go to the finals site? and beat three really good team, you know, three top eight teams in a row. I'm not convinced yet. They're, I mean, they are playing, they are playing some good doubles better. I think it's getting better. Uh, And then obviously, as you talked about, that was a, that was a huge doubles point. Once they got through that doubles point and coming overcoming those seven match points, you know, for the next, I don't know, hour, hour and 15 minutes it felt like it was all George like everything was going their way they were just in total control after having the doubles point in the way they came out in singles and then they maybe started to let it get a little tight there especially when Draxel looked like you know had he been able to split anything happens now but uh but yeah I don't know I'm just I I, I needed I I need something I don't know what it is that I don't that I'm not getting from them because I think it's just you know, we've talked about it with some other teams. They just play a lot of tight matches. And when you play a lot of tight matches, it's really hard to win three of those in a row. And, you know, the odds of you losing one are, are pretty good. They're just not coming out and dominantly stomping top teams 4-0, uh, you know, like you saw Tennessee do to Kentucky, for example. Yeah, I'll say it just straight up. I think this weekend, Georgia versus South Carolina, that's an elimination from the inner circle for now sort of match. Like two tier one teams, South Carolina started the year a little hotter. Obviously, they've taken two conference losses. Georgia a little bit slower start, but boy, they are undefeated in conference play. Now, here's the big thing. Kentucky was at home. Tennessee was at home. A&M was at home. They did go to Auburn and got a really good win. Uh, but again, this is their first serious road match since they've been rolling. And if Georgia's an inner circle team, they go on the road and they beat this South Carolina team that, let's be honest, is limping a little bit right now heading into April. It's a huge moment for this Georgia team. I'm ready to believe they're capable of doing it. I want to see it. Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern time, Chris Calioris and I will be on the call for that match in Columbia. It's a really fun one because, of course, now you move over to South Carolina who, you know, gets a 5-2 win over Ole Miss. I thought they were fine this weekend. You know, again, really tough road trip for Kentucky, but kind of looking through the rest of these SEC results. Mississippi State avoiding disaster. They get a 4-3 win over Alabama. Auburn, good 4-0 win over Vandy this week. I guess, Chris... As you're looking at the SEC right now, this is where we'll put the finishing bow on this conference. I think there are eight top 16 contenders. You tell me if I'm right or wrong, and let's go through this quickly. Right now, you've got number five, South Carolina. Are they a lock to be top eight? 
I mean, it sure seems like it, even if they, I mean, there's no the harm. The Ohio in, State buoy, that's what really helps. Yeah, and there's no harm in losing to Georgia. Yeah, they've just got too many, like it's, we've said this many, many times, the losses don't hear, hurt nearly as much as the good wins help. And they've just got too many good wins. Yeah. Uh, so, I, yeah, I think they're probably a lock for a top eight, bar, right. barring disaster, you know, barring losing to, uh, you know, one of the non-top 15 teams in the SEC or the tournament. Yeah, they're they're a lock. Number six, Kentucky. Top eight lock, yes or no? Yeah, I think so. Number seven, Georgia. Top eight lock. They do have wins over Kentucky, Tennessee now. Getting closer, but I, I still think. They beat I, South Carolina at the indoors. Let's not forget that. Yeah, I, I think they're in. Yeah, that's so that's three. And then number nine, Tennessee, they're one win away. They're like, again, they I think they've got I forget who they have this weekend. I think it's South Carolina as well. They've got South Carolina. The funny thing is, though, if you, you know, if you go over to the what if calculator and you just punch in all the all the higher ranked teams holding, but Tennessee up, you know, according to ranking wise, upsetting South Carolina, you know, getting that win. It still doesn't vault them over Virginia. They're still nine. Yeah. So so they need the win over South Carolina, you know, just to stay right there where they are. And it still doesn't get them there. They still need a little more help, uh, probably some SEC tournament help. So they're they're kind of on the outside looking. And obviously, it's very, very possible. But even a win over South Carolina doesn't put them in. So, you know, right now, it's, you know, I would say it's three SEC teams in the top eight. Tennessee's just, they need help. Yeah. All right, you just tell me again, straight up, yes or no, will this team be a top 16 seed at the NCAA tournament? Mississippi State, 5-4 and four in conference play, 17-5 and five overall. Yes. Number 17, Auburn, 4-4 four and four in conference play, 16-7 and seven overall. Yes. Number 21, Texas A&M, 5-3 in conference play, 13-8 and eight overall. No. Number 20, Florida, very quietly, rock solid, five and three in conference play, 10 and eight overall. No chance. Look at the remaining schedule for them. It's horrific. Oh, I mean, Florida's got a tough weekend ahead. <laughs> They've got, well, actually, Arkansas at home. No, that was this past weekend. Excuse me. Their weekend ahead, I don't have in front of me, but I believe it's, oh, no, no, no. I do have it in front of me. Yeah. They've got Georgia and Tennessee. Here's the thing, though. What if they win one of those? Yeah. Oh, that, I mean, that, that's basically, yeah. You, you can't argue too much with the fact that you have opportunity and you have the opportunity to do it, but yeah, I, I mean, they're going to, they're clearly going to be dogs in those matches, but yeah, if they can pull one off, they can get close. I, I just don't think they get, they've just got too tough a schedule. So reframing of the question, has this team been eliminated from top 16 contention? A&M. Oh, golly. I think A&M probably has, yes. Okay, Florida? I, they're not eliminated. No, they've yeah, got because their schedules. Time. Yeah, because it's that good. I, that's the perfect framing. Although, again, I saw your tweet. They're 10 and 8 right now. Like, they're also going to flirt with the 500 rule. Yeah. They lose both matches this weekend. It's the best 10 and 10 well, team you've ever seen. Well, 12 and 8 after today. They had their double oh, against Eastern Kentucky. They got them both in? Yeah. <laughs> well, they got one in. I assume they got the second one in. 
I think every win Ben Shelton gets on the ATP tour should count it as a win for Florida in their fight <laughs> against the 500 rule yeah. as well. Because again, that team has no business not being in the NCAA tournament. So I, I like that bit of scheduling. Again, right now, SEC, eight teams, you can argue, still in the top 16 hunt. It's half the freaking top 16. It's crowding out the rest of the field. And I'll tell you what, after this weekend, we got to make some space for the ACC. And we got to talk about one of the hottest teams in the countries. Now, again, Virginia's doing what Duke did on steroids. They've beaten everyone and Duke, but Duke's beaten everyone not named Virginia to start their conference play. And you look at this Duke team this season, uh, this weekend, boy, Chris, were they impressive. 4-3 victory over Wake Forest on Friday. That match, uh, of course, at the clinch uh, was, I believe, a 4-1 victory for the Blue Devils. Clinched by freshman Pedro Rodinez, 6-4 at the number two singles position. You look for Duke 5-2 win then against NC State. That match clinched at the number four spot by sophomore Connor Krug. But it is worth noting, again, soft, uh, freshman Pedro Rodinez, who we've talked a lot about of late. The reason we did that, he got a three-set win over Staheli that day as well. And again, looking for this Duke team. It's not just that they get the wins. It's how they do it. You know, you look for Duke. They go out. They beat both Wake Forest and NC State in doubles this weekend. And this Duke team, 28 and 15 overall. I think Johns and Rodinas, 12 and 2 overall. They've been really good and have elevated themselves to the number one spot. And then, look, I'll take the shot making of Heller and Zhang at that two spot all day. The energy of Krug and whomever at three. And then the depth, like again. Zhang's starting to play better. He's really picked things up. Now he's four and two at the number three spot since moving there. Rodinas, 18 and two on the year. John's 11 and eight. You know, they're 13 and six at the five spot, 13 and seven at six. And again, whether it's Heller or Dale or Krug, all those guys finding success in the bottom half of the lineup. Do I think this team is inner circle? No. Has this team played its way into the top 16 conversation? Absolutely. And I'll tell you what, having watched them this weekend, yes, it was a home match. They were better than NC State. They, I test wise, they are good everywhere. Like they just have some options. They've got some lefties. You know, again, I, I've been a little disappointed in Garrett John's season after the fall he had, the summer he had. I thought he might elevate himself to elite, elite tier, number one singles. Now, again, disappointment is all relative. He's still been very good at that top spot, and I don't feel not confident about him there. But I don't know. Where are you with Duke? After we, we said this was a massive weekend on Tobacco Road, and Duke's the team that comes out 2-0. Yeah, I mean a a big weekend for them, and and you you want to frame it like you much like you did for Florida in the terms of opportunity. They've still got North Carolina, and they finished the season with Florida State, mm-hmm. which you know heading into the the conference tournament that that could be a you know depending on what happens could be a top sixteen framing you know match right there in in the finisher. So. Uh, it's it, but a great weekend, great weekend for Duke. They definitely shine. And I, I like their chances of being able to make a run just because they've got good schedule left in front of them. Yeah. Again, that UNC match is going to be pivotal because guess what? Duke's played themselves up to the number 16 spot. They're 15 and five overall sole possession, Chris, sole possession of second place in the ACC. Now they're only a matchup on Wake Forest on, or excuse me, on NC state 
and on North Carolina. And to your point, they still have to face North Carolina, but they just beat NC State. And it was the luxury of having that match at home. But guess what? Like, we'll talk about NC State in a second, who went on the road and beat North Carolina 4-1 a couple of days earlier. Like, again, this Duke team has now compiled some pretty impressive victories here in ACC play. They got two of their biggest matches at home, and they did what good teams do. They protect their turf. As I said last week, I do think this Duke team, as good as any Duke team we've seen in probably the past six to seven years. But again, there was the foursome. Duke, North Carolina playing host to NC State and Wake. Let's talk about the two one-in-one teams. Let's move now to North Carolina, who played a really fun 4-3 match against Wake Forest on Sunday. I had the privilege to call that match. In the end, Will Jansen, the freshman from 5-4 down, Matt Thompson was serving for the match at three. Jansen able to break twice, close out the set 7-5 in the third, North Carolina clinching a 4-2 victory. Now, in the end, Juan Lopez de Azcona, who got two three-set wins at the sixth spot, he continues to have a ton of success uh, for Wake Forest there. Melios gets two three uh, wins at the number one spot uh, on the weekend as well, wins over Johnson Cernak, although, boy, was there some controversy heading into the breaker in that first set. A tight call. I lean the way of Brian Cernak, but it was far side of the camera, so really tough to tell. I mean, again, I'm pretty sure Cernak got a point penalty because he said something not the kindest to the chair umpire. And, of course, that was the passion of the moment. And this is where you got to give credit to Melios. Cernak was a 5-0 in that second set. And, you know, that's a testament to this North Carolina team, Chris. They win the match despite the fact that Brian Cernak does not deliver the victory on the day. And, you know, again, Cernak didn't just lose in single uh in singles he lost in doubles as well and like Cernok was the one commodity we knew Ryan Segerman as well but Cernok was really what we knew about this North Carolina team and again this is where you got to give a credit to coach Paul to coach Phillips this lineup's just real like the lefty Jansen he's legitimately number three singles physical number three singles good polling another victory this time six and one over Karamov and you know again looking for uh North Carolina against NC State uh, you know again Sagerman got another good win at the number two spot uh in on that day Mike Kate Zap as he gets healthier Watani's an option as well North Carolina's top 16 good Oh, they're definitely top 16 good. Yeah. I mean, that, but the, that match to me, first of all, when I saw the lineups, what jumped out, and I, I'll be honest, I haven't followed super closely the changing of the Wake Forest lineup through the season. How is Matthew Thompson at three? Like, I, he's, a, he's in front of Karamov. He's served for the match. I know. And he's in front of Karamov. Karam, I mean, well, to, I'll tell you what, I watched Thompson like really closely for the first time on Sunday, he's got the size. He's got the weapons. Like he hits a big ball, Chris. He's going to be a, a good grad transfer. Uh, uh-huh. But to- First of all, isn't he in his like, he's the new Alan Godjev. Like, let's be <laughs> yeah. honest here. Well, the problem is they have, they always have like 19 guys on the roster. Yeah, so they all sure feel how like they've been there this. forever. Yeah, yeah, you never true. know how long any of, they all run together. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, no, I'm, uh, yeah, I mean, Karamov, 
coming in with all the high expectations and ATP rank and et cetera. And now we see him down where he's at in the rise of Matthew Thompson. Yeah. That was just, that was surprising. And I looked up the stats after when I, after I saw that and I was like, well, yeah, it's not like it's a big stack. He's played better. He's deserved. He deserves to be there. But yeah, when you see Thompson three, Karamov four, Tachi five, that just, wow, that didn't, that didn't look right. But, uh, but yeah, to your point, I mean, Wake Forest is still dangerous. North Carolina is just, you know, over the long run, you you play, you know, these teams play a bunch of matches and they play a bunch of conference matches. North Carolina is just probably going to win out more often uh, than not. They're they're just slightly better. And the good, I mean, what I really like about them is is some of these guys like Jansen and Poling coming in, you know, the new faces and, and Kate down there. It's they've got a good mix, you know, with veterans like Cernok and the young guys. But but yeah, when you can do what they did with Cernok blowing that in the in the second set and then and not not getting a win and they still win the match. uh, I, you know, I think things look look good for them. They're just a solid nine through 16 uh, and they just need to hang on to that, you know, top 16 spot. Yeah. For the record, Matt Thompson's like, man, I miss my freshman year roommate, Dennis Uspensky. Uh, yeah. That's a deep cut. Yeah, that was just for you, Chris. Um, but, he, but, but he went to Pepperdine. So yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, look, I, I think that's fair. And again, you're right. This UNC team, they're just playing better than Wake right now. Like, again, that was a Wake team that was right there. They're right in the fight. They're always in the fight. They're always extraordinarily competitive. It's just been hard for them to find those fourth that fourth point. And again, now they've lost to Florida State. They've lost to Duke. They've lost to UNC. It's going to be tough for them to find a pathway to the top 16, especially because they went winless at the national indoors. And I'll tell you what, though, that's the most dangerous team if they're not hosting. I would not want Wake coming to my campus if I'm one of the, you know, again, 12 through 16 seeds come the NCAA tournament. But last but not least, let's talk about this uh, NC State team, NC State, the 4-1 win over UNC for what it's worth. They take the doubles point against both NC State, uh, against both North Carolina and Duke. They did win three first sets against Duke and three three setters. Now they all go against them, but that's a tough road result. I'll just say this team's a year away, right? Like this team's a year away from being top 16 good and on a really tough road weekend to go one and one. In the perspective of 2023, it's tough. Long term for this NC State program, they're headed in the right direction. Yeah, they just had, you know, I think we sort of hoped this year they could they could get over that hump. They were right there last year. I mean, I even was calling for them as a possible upset down in in TCU, right? I mean, they've got a lot of good talent on the team, but somehow it just feels like even last year we said they're a year away, it feels like we're just kind of in that same boat again where we're just saying, yeah, Probably still a year away. I mean, they can, again, they can jump up. They handled North Carolina just fine. They can beat a team, but they're just not, they're not where they need to be if they want to be, you know, challenging for a top eight host spot and then really making a serious run at at the final site. Yeah, I think for them, the whole key is to finish top 16 so that you can host a kickoff weekend next year. You can put yourself in that top eight fight right away. We're going to end the ACC talk, same spot we ended the SEC. UVA. Still alive in the top eight hunt? They are, but I tell you what, I I mean, I'm I don't feel great about it. And I'll and I'll tell you why. I mean, 
they've got obviously Tennessee biting at the heels, you know, right behind them. Right. Uh, I mean, it just it doesn't it feels like a very tenuous spot in that top eight. But they're they're absolutely in the hunt. But that's it. Right. Here's the thing. Virginia will have wins over like the number 12, 13, 15, 17, 19 and 24th ranked teams. But they don't have that signature top 10 victory. They didn't get that in the first two months of the season. Played a lot of good matches against really good teams, but they lost to Kentucky. They lost to Ohio State. They lost to Michigan at the National Indoors. They lost the next day to Ohio State again as well. Again, they kind of like the ACC chaos, all these teams beating up on each other and all slowly building up the rankings together because, again, here's the framing. Still in the top 16, Hunter, not. You tell me, Chris. UNC. Absolutely. Lock? Uh, should should be clo- – I, no, I'm not going to say they're a lock. They, I don't they, have to, yeah. No, if, they if might I don't need to do something. Me. I mean, they're already, proje- you know, they're 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 looking at prob, you know, projecting down to fifteen already this week based on the movement of other people, and that's that's getting a little dicey. Yeah. No. Well, if I don't have to ask their lock, then you tell me in the hunt or not. Number sixteen, Duke. Uh, in the hunt, definitely not a lock. Number eighteen, Florida State. Uh, in the hunt, which by the way, they just pulled off that win at Miami. Three matches go to third set breakers. Uh, they win 4-3 with ACC, uh, and that was a must win for them. They are – it doesn't help them actually almost to nothing with the win. It just prevented the loss. But, yes, they're they're sitting there. They need help. They're in the hunt, though. They still have UNC and Duke on the schedule. That's the key thing for Florida State. Number 19, Wake. I mean, yes, just because they've got some meat on the bone left as well. Uh, I mean, they've got NC State and Virginia both left. But if they can't win either one of those, no chance. They need to beat Virginia, but Virginia cannot lose that match. And so, again, that becomes very fun. And then NC State still alive? I I don't think so. I mean, it, it, it it would take a lot of work for them. Uh, I mean, obviously they're alive if they if they win out, but yeah. you know the odds of that happening aren't good. Well, I think one reason they might be eliminated is something else that happened on the week and one of the big results we saw. How about Arizona? I'd argue they got their first signature victory of the year. Arizona 4-3 win at home over USC comes down to the number three spot. Gustav Strom, three-set win over Wojtek Merrick to deliver the clinch. I mean, again, you look for this Arizona team. They drop the doubles point, but they get wins from Zeverts in straight sets at the number two spot. They get a win uh, in straight sets from Friend at five. And then how about this? The three-set win from Strom and a three-set win from sophomore Colton Smith, who's quietly gotten better and better. He knocks out Dostanich at was the, the number one, one spot in three. Yeah, that was probably the swing match in this. I mean, again, it's a really tough loss for USC. It might even straight up knock them out of top eight contention. And yeah, I they're yeah, I, yeah, I, if they, I think if, they're done. And if they have uh, Lerner Tien come April, uh, come May, then of course, like they're still in the national championship hunt. Although at this point, who knows what's going to happen with that? Arizona up to number twelve now in the rankings, and for what it's worth, they also got a four zero win over UCLA. I did some looking for this Arizona team because I was curious. I was like, what are Arizona's best wins this season? And I won't lie, the Arizona resume, not to be disrespectful to Arizona men's tennis, but it's still too thin 
to even consider putting them in the top eight conversation. Yes, Arizona's 17 and four overall, but who are their best wins? They beat USC, they beat Cal, they beat Oklahoma a couple of times. Yeah, just stop at USC. Yeah, and and San Diego, sure. They have a a good depth of wins. They also don't have any bad losses. Two losses to Texas, no shame in that. 4-2 loss at Auburn, I don't hold that against them. 4-3 at Stanford, that's fine. They have a good resume. They have a top 16 resume. And we haven't talked about them enough, Chris, but it's fair to say now that they have this USC win, the totality of it all is it's like, nope, you're definitely top 16. Yeah, it's I mean, and it's amazing that you can do it based and they were right. They were in the hunt for a 16 without the win over USC this weekend. And that's so that's a win over number 10 outside of that. their next best win over number 28 UCLA, you know, they've got a bunch of wins over teams between, you know, number 28 and number 47. That's a lesson to teams that are trying to get in that top 16 area that you don't have to beat a bunch of top 10 teams to get there. If you're a number 16 team, you are pretty much expected to beat all the team, you know, the number 30 ish type teams. And that's what they've done. They've beaten all a bunch of teams that are, you know, like a 30 to 40 type team. That's and it perfect. adds up to being a top 16 team. They threw in one win over that's, USC that's not in that range. It's so perfectly framed. They just did what they were supposed to do. Yeah, they lost tough ones to Texas and a tough one at Auburn. But you're so right. They beat the number 27 team. They beat the number 34 team. They beat the number 36 team. They beat the number 32 team. They just keep racking up wins. And I have to say, the environment at that match was special. I don't care if it was the team. I don't care if it was six members in the crowd. They have chants. They have cheers. They get rowdy. It was a really, really fun environment. And it's a credit to Coach Shields and what they're building right now down at Arizona. And we've said for a while, and I can't believe Zeverts is still eligible, but he is. Strom. A junior, you know, still has two years left of eligibility. Smith, a sophomore, Double H, who's 10 and 5 on the year. You know, they add in some new pieces to the mix as well. But this core has been to a final site before. And like, again, Smith's 12 and 5. Strom, I don't know how he's playing three, but I guess it makes sense given Zeverts has been 11 and 3 as well. But Strom's 14 and 2. Like, Smith, Strom, Zeverts. Is a top three you just don't want to fuck with. Sorry for swearing. It slipped out. But it's Arizona, so you have to curse because, let's be honest, they would too. Um, and I say that affectionately. We love cursing here at Cracked Rackets. Um, like, and I'm do it, I'll double up here so you know it's coming again. You just don't fuck with Arizona. Like, they're just in for the fight. And this was a really good win. We haven't spent enough time talking about them. It's because we got burned by them last year when we put them preseason top 10. And it's not that they were bad last season, but they didn't match the expectations we had for them. They've bounced back really well here, Chris, in 2023. Yeah. Oh, they have done exactly. They've done what they needed to do. They finally came up with the big win at USC. And they're just absolutely, to your point, it's so fun to watch. They are, we've talked about, the play, you know, the, the the award I affectionately drubbed is the, the Liam Draxel Award of the guy that you, you want on your team, but, you know, everybody else hates him. They're a team version of Draxel where just the other team absolutely hates everything about the team and they get in your head and they and they do it on. Per- I mean, obviously, they're they're just a team and they love each other. And that's what you want to see is all the guys banding together. 
But then they just get in the other team's head at the same time and they make it personal. And I mean, it's it's so fun to to watch them. Uh, you know, I, you, I saw the tweet going around from who started, Jessica Pagula started it. Should there be more trash talking in tennis? And I saw Ben Shelton chime in about, yeah, make it more like college. And that's exactly, you know, that the, the, that's the first thing I thought of is, yeah, it'd be just like watching Arizona play. I'm going to save the trash talk rant for probably a mini break podcast in the near future if it continues to pick up steam. But like, what exactly is tennis trash talk going to look like? Because I don't think it's as clean cut as you think. Like, do you want to do it right now? I'll just say that, that I still and I've talked about this probably three or four times. One of my most fun, you know, memories from last, not this season, but last season watching Florida at Kentucky. I'm standing behind the net on court one. Shelton's playing Draxel. Uh, Diallo is already, you know, he's done and he's standing behind the fence. I think he's either behind the fence with me or or I'm just right there on the court next to him. And Ben is coming back and Scotty Perlman's standing right there against the back corner. And Ben is talking and saying things really, really loud. And he's saying, Scotty, but he's not talking to Scotty at all. He's talking directly to Diallo. And Diallo knows it. And Diallo's talking to Draxel, except Diallo's talking to Ben. And, you know, it's this trash talk that you can't ignore, you can't actually direct it to the person you're talking to. So you say it to somebody else on your team or your staff. And it's just the, it was great, but it's great trash talking. So that's what I'm saying. There are other actors. So there are team members. There are just ways you can involve other people in college that I'm not sure you can do in the pros, but yeah. Or like Virginia, Florida, national indoors last year, Chris, yeah. come on. We Sneaker remember. Gate? Come on. Yeah. Or like, <laughs> I mean, anytime Tennessee plays Baylor, like, come on. Um, it is. Yeah, it no, is you're fun. right. Yeah. And it is, it is definitely tougher in the pros because yeah. you pretty much have to go well, that's, right what I'm saying. that's what I'm saying. It's like, I'm talking to you like you yeah. and like, they'd have to accept it. I don't know if tennis players would be willing to, it's a discussion for another time. Again, Arizona though, they bring the energy four, three win over the Trojans four Oh win over UCLA as well up to number 12. Now in the rankings and tied for the lead uh, in the hunt for the PAC 12 title. But Chris, you know, who else is tied for the lead in the PAC 12 title, the team we have not been talking about enough. And should we be talking more? About the Utah Utes, up to number 25 in the ITA rankings. Chris, this team is 18-3 and overall. And let's be clear. They lost two kickoff weekend matches to Texas Tech, or maybe it was Georgia Tech, I forget whom, and Gonzaga. Yes, Texas Tech. Texas Tech and Gonzaga. They also lost a 4-3 match at Washington. That's it. And you look at who this team has now beaten over the course of the past month. They beat Memphis and Harvard couple of weeks ago, we talked about it then. This weekend, 4-1 over Stanford, 4-2 over Cal, 18-3, and up to number 25 in the rankings. USC and Arizona still on the schedule. Chris, I think this team's still alive in the top 16 hunt. Uh, I'm not going to get carried away there. If they beat both of those, if they win both of those matches, and I think they're at Arizona this weekend. Yeah, if if they if I don't even think if they win, I was I was gonna look real quick. I don't think if they win that they they're can not organize, but that they not. can still get there. Uh I it they're just a little bit too far out. Obviously, you know, if they beat a number 10 USC, 
that's a that's a big jump right there to that would really get you up there. But yeah, I mean, sure, nothing's out. It's not totally out of the question because obviously they could beat him in the regular season. They could beat him again in the Pac-12. And if you beat a number ten team twice, um, that's going to do a lot of a lot of help for you. Uh, but I just, you know, the, the likelihood of that probably isn't real great, but what yeah, no, it's, they absolutely, we should be talking about them more. Do I think they can get into the top 16? Uh, I think that's highly, highly unlikely, uh, but absolutely. They deserve to be talked about because look, the points don't even add up because that win over Stanford doesn't count for as much as I think we know it should. Stanford sure. is not, you know, a number 24 or whatever the heck they are right now that they're getting credit for, for beating. So that, you know, that's even better. And and Cal, we know is a really good team. Yeah. They're, they're looking, you know, they're looking really good. They went five and one in the top three singles positions over the course of the weekend. They take uh, the doubles point against Stanford, drop the doubles point against Cal. But, you know, again, or I should say they went unfinished at the number one spot. So they went four, one, and one at the top three spots. They went undefeated at two and three between Buslaman and uh, Bastias. You know, again, we know what uh, Cabalbo is capable of at that top spot as well. And I think at five and six, they've been really good this year. Utah has been as well. Like, you're right. They probably need three wins over or at least two wins, but maybe I put two. I just put two wins over USC in and it only gets them to 17. Well, that's crazy because their top five wins then would be two over USC, a win over Harvard, a win over Cal, a win over Stanford, a win over Memphis. It's a yeah, pretty the- solid resume by word of mouth. But you're right. Ranked wise, the Stanford wins just not going to do that much for you right yeah, now. Yeah, they, they could really use now. They could get a lot of help with Stanford making a good run here at the end of going into the Pac-12 you know, yeah, conference. but wouldn't that be at the expense of Utah? Like, I feel like there's not room for both. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I just don't think they can get there. Yeah, they would. Utah would basically have to. They would almost need to run run the table, win the Pac-12, and have Stanford beat USC in the Pac-12 tournament. Here's the thing: this team since kickoff weekend is 14 and one, or maybe 15 and one. They're hot. They're playing really well. Again, they have a top three that can hang with anyone. They're getting better in the bottom of their lineup. They're pretty good in doubles as well. This Utah team's the real deal, up to number 25. And again, not completely eliminated. They have to run the table, but there's maybe 26 teams who you can say left in the country aren't completely eliminated from the top 16 hunt. And I think you'd have to include Utah on that list of teams. Again, quietly an exceptional story. And again, Pac-12 wise, UCLA gets a much needed 4-3 win over Arizona State. USC did get a uh, 6-1 win over Arizona State on Friday as well. But it's a jumbled top of the Pac-12. And, you know, just to run through some of the other results we saw on the weekend right now, one other team that made its NCAA tournament push, big weekend for Oregon, 4-2 over Washington, 4-1 over UCSB, Chris. They're like what, like 45-ish, I want to say, something like that right now in the 40, ITU ranking. 48, 48, and yeah, they're... That's vomit zone. There's nobody really out of it from... yeah the Pac-12 perspective, like all of the teams can make a case that, you know, we've talked about it, that cut line generally ends up falling 
let's just call it 43-ish, you know, usually plus or minus one or so. It's, you know, somewhere between 42 and 44. And you've got everybody, you know, at 51 or better. Just That just means that, you know, they're all a good win away from being in. Can I just say on your behalf, because you're too humble to do it, play with the what if calculator. It'll ruin your evening, but it's oh. worth it because <laughs> – I'm not going to say who I was sending it to, but I want to. I went on a long diatribe with a player on a team, not to be named, um, and I was like, "I've mapped out every scenario across conferences, and here's your conference scenario." And like, this is why your team is in X position right now. <laughs> um, and yeah, that in no means was meant to be a natural segue, but maybe you all can intuitively deduce that it might be because let's talk about our final breakdown here before we get into a wave of other significant results. Michigan's only lost twice this year. They've kind of limped to this part two battle with Ohio State this weekend. And look, like Michigan's beating who they're supposed to beat, but the Wisconsin match got tricky this weekend against Louisville. Louisville. They survive 4-3 win. And look, Michigan has just straight up not been good at doubles. I'll be the first to admit it. Fenty and Young have been excellent, but... Maloney, Styler, Nino, Cooksey, Bickerstaff, Bjorn. While those are a lot of pieces, they just haven't quite found the right pairings yet. That said, glass half full. Not once this season has the t- has the bottom three singles players in the lineup carried Michigan to victory, and that's the thing you need to see from this Wolverines team going into this Big Ten tournament stretch, going into postseason play. Is can the bottom half of the lineup? match what we've seen from the top half all season long. There are no more questions about Andre Styler. No more questions about Fenty. He's done it for four months now, really nine months if you include the fall. This is the real deal. Yes, Maloney lost this weekend, but I would bet my house on Patrick. I'd bet it all on Patrick Maloney. If it's pushed comes to shove, you need him to win the match. I'm confident he's going to come through and do it. But again, this weekend after dropping the doubles point, here's the big thing. Aaron Schneider, healthier one in six went over Hernandez Bickerstaff. Yes. He dropped another set, but three, six, six, one, six, one is a good win over Matthew Fong. He and feels then, like he's destined for three sets every match anyway. Yeah. And then look, the real question is yes. With a healthy Nino, you feel like, okay, your six are, and they didn't have Styler this weekend, but you feel like your six are Fenty, Maloney, Young, Aaron Schneider, Bickerstaff, Styler, right? You think that should be your six. Here's the thing, Chris, what do you think Will Cooksey's record is right now? Just give me a total losses on the year in dual match play. Four. One. He's seven and one in dual match play. And wow. like undefeated at the national indoors. You can't yeah. like, it's the best option to have. It's the worst thing. Cause when you have three sixes, you don't have a six, but Michigan right now, like again, for the first time this season coming off of this Louisville match, you can say, you know what? You didn't need Maloney. You didn't need Styler. You didn't need Gavin Young. It was Bickerstaff. It was Aaron Schneider. It was Cooksey and the continued excellence of Andrew Fenty. Like, I think that's the glass half full in what was, again, another tight victory is finally you feel like the bottom half of the lineup is starting to get in a mojo. Yeah, I, we're going to find out Sunday, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> it's it's well said. I mean, again, you know this Louisville team better than I do. What did you think of this match? Louisville's the best. They should not be 40. 
they're better than 40 in the country. And it's just because they lost a ton of tight ACC matches. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say the problem for them is they're just so they're so up and down in that they they are one of those teams that can have a really, really, really good match and they can play a team like Michigan, well, granted, Michigan had no styler, but they can play a team top like three Mi- is just excellent. They can play them really close. But then at the same time, you know, if yeah, and that that's where they I think that's where they get in trouble is if they don't get just outstanding results out of the top three, then they can be in, they they can get in trouble because they can lose in the bottom three. And, you know, if they go one and two at the top three it's it, it could be it could be tough and and that's why you know they just haven't been able to put up the the numbers to get there but they don't look they don't have horrible you know horrible losses they've got a good a good resume uh it, they're just they just don't have that big uh you know that big signature win like a michigan win would have would have done for them uh if you will uh I just don't see it coming, but yeah, they're the, the unfortunate part for Louisville is that they're fighting for their tournament life right now. And that's really because they've still, they're still using unranked wins in their schedule. They don't have bad, you know, Miami is their worst loss. Miami is the only team outside of the top 20 Louisville's lost to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, to, to, to say that you have a team fighting for their tournament life that has only lost one match to a team outside the top 20 that alone is ridiculous and tells you how dangerous they are. The problem is that their wins, you know, once you get past a win over Miami, which is only their third best win, they're they're down into the 60s, 70s and and lower. So they just need they need more they need more quality wins on the resume from a formula standpoint. But yeah, they're they're a good team. I'll tell you what. Right now, Louisville 40, Baylor 41, Oklahoma 42, Cal 43. I'd want no part of any of those teams uh, come the first round of the NCAA tournament. But look, again, the stats are all gaudy for this Michigan team. Styler's eight in the country. I think Fenty's like 11. Maloney's like 24, 25. Gavin's still top 50. Again, Nino gets healthier. Bickersteth continues to play better. Cooksey's been a legit option whenever he's played at the number six spot. This team still hasn't played its best since February. And I actually glass half full. So here's a theory I was speculating upon with my younger brother. Let's just do this quickly. And then we're going to move on to other results. I promise. I think Michigan peaked too soon last year. I think you saw their win over Baylor. You saw their win over Ohio state. You saw them win the big 10 championship. You saw them beat Texas at the sweet 16. Like I think they used the juice too early in the season It's a crazy take, Chris. This is one of those stupid things that this is a 2018 Alex Gruskin take is I think this team is actually peaking. Like it's better pacing itself this year. Like I, yes, they were really good in February, but the bottom of the, you know, Bickerstaff hadn't quite peaked and the doubles wasn't quite there. I think we haven't seen the best version of this team yet. That's going to be my hot take. Yeah. I'd rather just go undefeated, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no one look again. I mean, yeah, it's everyone. When it, uh, yeah, whatever, whatever it takes to judge, you know, in your own head to justify, you know, a couple losses feeling good. What you know, whatever you got to do. Lost since they lost to Ta- uh, Ohio State, Texas, like two losses to two of the top three teams in the country. So yeah, it is. They they, they have to be the the most under the radar two loss team. 
team. Yeah, a, a, considering there's only a couple of two lost teams in the country. You know, like yeah. Texas, them, Ohio State, and and TCU with one loss. You know, beyond that, that's that's about it. Uh, and they're the one that gets no talk. Yeah. Well, again, Michigan fans, we talked about them a little bit today. So there you go. That's your Michigan Wolverines 4-3 win over Louisville. They also get the fun victory over Michigan State as well. Good win for Styler over Ozon Barris at that number one spot. But I want to talk about some other results, all of them NCAA tournament related. Shave on you, Chris Halioris. You doubted the Baylor Bears. I hope Michael Woodson played it for him. 4-2 win over Tech, 4-2 win over Tulsa, 41 in the rankings now. Do you want to rescind your comments from last week? Are they getting in? Come on. You secretly know I'm on the payroll. I'm, I'm motivating them. That's true. That was, <laughs> that was a plant. I like it. All right. Again, rapid fire through. Raise your hand if you want to stop and say something about the match. Northwestern, 5-1 over Indiana. Illinois, 4-0 over Indiana. The reason I put those on there, tough for Indiana, probably at this point, too tough for them to make the NCAA tournament. Michigan State, they need to beat one of Illinois or Northwestern. That trip's the last Big Ten trip of this weekend uh, weekend of the season for them. But they got one they needed, 5-2 over Virginia Tech. Miami, 5-2 over Georgia Tech. Miami, 7-0 over Clemson. Now, if they win that match over Florida State, they're feeling really, really good. But after a really month, uh, a rough month of March, Chris, Miami up to number 44 in the rankings now. So that's my thoughts on them. Any updates there? I don't see your hand raised. Yeah. Well, no, as I say, obviously they lost that match today. They're, they're, they're on the, they're on the outside looking in, but God, I mean, for a team that's as good as them to not be in, they're just, they're another one of these, they, they can come out with a dud and then they can shock a top a number 20 team. Uh, that That's a team that needs to be in the tournament, whether they get there or not, we'll see. Yeah, already mentioned Oregon with their wins up to number 48. SEC-wise, Old Miss, big 6-1 win over LSU. LSU, though, impressive 5-1 over Arkansas. Vandy, 6-1 over Alabama. That really hurts Alabama's chances of getting in the tournament now. They drop outside the top 50. Alabama currently sitting now at number 56. Uh, any final lingering SEC thoughts, or can I keep rolling? Yeah, no, I, I think that's that probably sealed the the nail for both Vandy and and Bama as to not not getting in this year. Yeah, and then your non-power five, Penn, huge six-one win for Coach Bonfiglio and the Quakers, six-one over Princeton. Good bounce back for Middle Tennessee, just to remind everyone, 6-1 over VCU, Memphis 4-1 over UCF, and then all these teams on the tournament bubble beating up on each other. Tulane, they're feeling pretty good. 4-1 over USF. 4-2 over SMU. Tulane currently sitting at 39 in the rankings. USF, a pivotal 4-3 win over SMU. And then the Dame for the Liberty Flames, Chris. I included them for you. 4-2 over ODU. Your upset of the week, though. BYU, 4-2 over San Diego. Final thoughts on the results go to you, Chris. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, the the team that I, I think I probably – didn't give enough credit too early on in the year. And they had a, they've had a brutal schedule down the stretch that you just mentioned was Tulane. They've really come on well, uh, gotten themselves in a spot where I, you know, they had so many matches that against teams that were either better than them or right at their level that it was going to be really tough. And, and they've come out looking, looking good. And, uh, and they look like they definitely deserve to be in the tournament at this point. I agree with you. I enjoy watching that Tulane team fight. They play a lot of 4-3 matches, but uh, again, they've been on the winning end of them of late. But with all that said, 
that brings us to our top 10. And should we expand to a top 16 next week? Is it time for us to go to a top 16, Chris, or are we still two weeks away? No, I think we, we, sh- we should, because it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's getting to time where now we need to start talking about who's going to be, uh, yeah, know, who's going to be in those 16 spots. I agree. We keep alluding to it on the show. So starting next week, we'll move to a top 16. So for the final week, here's your final Crack Rackets top 10. And again, not a ton of movement at the top. Texas still number one following their win a couple weeks ago over TCU, Ohio State three, Michigan four. Uh, Those two, of course, playing this weekend. Virginia up to five in our rankings now. The math may not like them. We know the defending national champs starting to find their footing. Although, again, when are we going to see Barbotzer? That's the question we're all wondering. Georgia six. How could they not be highest ranked SEC team? They're undefeated in conference play. You get a wave of SEC teams after that. South Carolina, seven, Tennessee, eight, Kentucky, nine. Tell you what, Chris, the hardest choice I had to make on my top 10 rankings this week was who I was going to put at number 10. Now we ultimately end up with Columbia as our cracked rackets, number 10 team. What say you about this order? I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to argue. I'm, I'm not sold yet on on Columbia and I you know I probably would have said you know North Carolina or, or or USC the problem is with what both of them did this weekend you can't really argue against putting Columbia in there I had USC just on body of work I thought they had better wins more broadly than the rest of the field but Columbia is a fine pick I will say what this tells me eight SEC teams in contention for a top 16 seed you could argue right now not a single SEC team is firmly in the inner circle national championship conversation with, again, just all the vacillations and the South Carolina-Georgia match this weekend and all the SEC play huge. Now, for what it's worth, you look at the computer rankings, obviously, again, pretty similar. Texas 1, TCU 2, Ohio State, Michigan 3-4. They have South Carolina 5, Kentucky 6, Georgia 7, so a little SEC boost, Virginia 8. Tennessee nine, they stick with USC at the number 10 spot for those top 16 updates for what it's worth right now. Columbia 11, Arizona 12, UNC 13, Mississippi State 14, Harvard 15. So the Ivy League two for now, Duke 16. Again, starting next week, we will expand our cracked rackets rankings to our top 16. Because look, at this point, every match significant and Boy, do we have a fun week ahead, Chris. This is where we'll wrap our show here today. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, tier one, drop everything you're doing matches. It starts, of course, and let's rapid fire through these. Give me your pick. Give me the swing match. Ohio State at Michigan, part two of their battle. Who you got? Who you, uh, Who's it come down to? Yeah, it seems like it would be too easy to pick Ohio State on, on the road just because, as you said, Michigan just – Seems like they're limping, but I'm sticking with 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 what I've been saying all year. I'll take Michigan. I'll take them at home. Golly, I don't even know that there. I there's going to be so many good matches across the board, and I ex and I fully expect some sort of chicanery from from Ty. So, so let me ask you this: Cash and Bernard, two of the three. It's supposed to be nice in Michigan on Sunday. Let's say it's outdoors. Who's playing? Bernard and Anthrop. Okay, that's what I want to hear. No predictions from me. We'll be on the call for that one Sunday on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Georgia at South Carolina, who you got? 
again, I'll, I'll go with the home team, but again, I don't feel great about it. It's a, a very similar case. South Carolina sort of limping much like uh, Michigan is, although South Carolina more so because they're limping with some losses on the schedule uh, that Michigan hasn't been taking, but it's home. Georgia's not blowing people out. This figures to be a tight one. I I kind of feel like whoever wins doubles wins the match. It's going to be that kind of match, it feels like. So uh, I'll take South Carolina at home. Tennessee at South Carolina. Tennessee's just rolling too well to pick against them right now. I'll take Tennessee on the road. Duke at UNC. I'll stick with the home team, North Carolina. UVA at Wake. UVA. UVA at NC State. UVA. Right. UVA is not losing uh, again to the NCAA tournament. With that same speed, Tennessee at Florida. Tennessee. Georgia at Florida. Georgia. USC at Stanford. Wow. I can't even pick that one fast. These are I, tier two, by the way. Yeah, that's that's a that's a true toss-up to me. Uh, and I hate picking against the home teams, but I'll still I'll I'll still take no screw it. USC law. I'll take the home team here. I'll go with Stanford, even though I think that's an upset. The Quintable USC at Cal. USC. Quintable part two UCLA at Cal. <laughs> uh, I think I'll take Cal in that one. You'll take Stan- UCLA at Stanford. Stanford. All right. Last two for you. Illinois at Northwestern. Wow. Sneaky um, huge match. That is that's a that is a big one in the Big Ten at Northwestern. I'm still going to take Illinois. All right, last one. Penn at Columbia. Columbia. All right, there it is, folks. That's your week ahead. Again, a ton of good matches across the college tennis universe. We'll have broadcast for you Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday across ESPN Plus, ACC, SEC Network Plus, our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, of course, as well, trying to cover everything that happens across the Division I college tennis world. Of course, with all of that said, massive shout out to all of you who join us here each and every week to follow our updates on everything happening in the Division One college tennis world. Of course, these shows would not be possible without the support we get from our sponsors at Turner at LS. To learn more about each of them, click on the links in the description to this podcast. Of course, a shout out as well to the many hours put in by super producer Daniel Westhoff, who makes each and everything we do here at Crack Rackets possible. And then last but certainly not least, a shout out to my dear friend, the professor, the lean, mean, vegan machine, Chris Halioris, for joining me each and every week for these updates. With that said, Chris, final thoughts go to you. I think uh, the last one I'll throw in that we didn't talk about is we're talking a lot about the top 16 hosts. If you look right now, this week, Harvard's in. They're projected to be the first spot out, but they've still got two unranked wins in their category. So all those teams that are looking to crack the top 16 and think that that's one they're going to push out, that's going to be difficult to do because Harvard's going to put some points in there. So that's not the team you want to be looking at. If you're 17, 18, 19, thinking you're taking someone out, that's probably not the team you're taking out. You better look for someone else. That's what the analysis we're looking for. A little gem there snuck in at the end. Well, that's why we love him. With that said, for the fantastic 
lean vegan mean vegan machine the professor chris hallioris for our super producer daniel west up our friends at turner and ls and from all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin chris what do we tell our listeners hey great shot i'll see you all tomorrow for uncnc state thanks everyone Thank you.